Alright, spot slum. They're so laterally oriented. <laughs> yeah. Very linear. Alright, if you want to stick your thumb in where we're going to start for the Torah portion this week, um, you'll find that in Leviticus chapter 25. Start there like we normally do. We're going to read a bit in the Prophets. We're going to read a bit in the Apostolic Scriptures. Um, I don't know about you guys, but as I was even just reading this morning, every time I read my Bible and I, I you know, kind of ponder on the Word and meditate, meditate on it and think about it, it feels like, I don't know, it's weird. Like you're almost you know, transported off Enterprise down to a foreign planet. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a different world you you, you go into where it has all its own laws and um, customs and mannerisms. And I think it feels so much like that because the, the, the dichotomy between our current culture where we live right now and today is so far removed from what we're trying to live like. You know, we're trying to, uh, as Brad said um, when we saw him a month or so ago, cut and paste this life out of, out of the desert with Moses and the 70 elders or, you know, or David on the throne and, and then apply this to our lives. And it's really difficult. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, anyways, but that... that I just love, though, it's like you go every morning, you know, on a mini mental vacation in waves, you know, as you delve into God's Word. So, in Leviticus 25, where our our Torah portion is here, uh, sorry, I'm in numbers, let me get over to Leviticus. What we read about in this passage, this, so this this passage is uh, seemingly very simple, but inside it, uh, hopefully we'll be able to kind of dredge out of it uh, 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 some cool things, I guess, that as I was reading through and read, because what we're going to read about is the trees and how in the fields now you're not supposed to, you sow them for six years and they let, let it rest for a year. And then you have the year of Jubilee in the 50th year where all the land goes back to its original owners. All of the, uh, all the people, if you were a servant, go back to your original uh, place and home. Uh, if you had any debts, they're forgiven. And everything gets, you basically get a fresh start, a reset every, every 50 years, which I think would be awesome if it were like next year. Uh, but that's not the case. And so... And then it goes on to talk about um, how we're not supposed to oppress one another. Use the year of Jubilee as an instrument of oppression, basically. Because like the society in which we live in today, what happens when something is at a commodity? Or there's not very much of something? Or um, it's limited edition? It's more expensive, basically. 
But one of the specific things that God tells them not to do, if there's only two years left in the, in, uh, going to the Jubilee, and you're going to loan somebody 20 bucks, you can't loan it to them with 50% interest rate because you know, you're not really going to get much off of your, your loan, basically. So they weren't allowed to exploit their fellow brethren uh, be, because of you know, the amount of time. If it was 49 years until the year of Jubilee, then you priced it out at that. If it was uh, two years, then you priced it at that. You weren't allowed to artificially inflate prices and costs of, of things uh, to, to oppress one another because that's basically what it was, is oppression. And what I, what I love about that is how it really, you know, God just speaks straight to the heart of the people because he knows that they're a mess and he knows our natural tendencies to want to take advantage of others and our greedy tendencies to kind of want to get what's mine and hold on to it and uh, not give away too much. But over and over when we read through these passages, we're reminded and God reminds us how that's not supposed to happen. So that's what we, we're going to see in here. Um, but in there you're supposed to fear God. And um, it's going to talk about the land being sold. Uh, and that there are strangers and sojourners with God. That's part of what I want to focus on today is this idea of um, strangers and sojourners and how there's actually two different categories of strangers and sojourners. But first I'm going to start off with a little story. So yesterday we went out to Portsmouth, Merrily had a doctor's appointment, and um, we were walking through Portsmouth, and we came across um, this memorial to uh, what they call the, the African burying ground. Originally what it was, was in the early 1600s and 1700s, they had African slaves in Portsmouth that they had brought over and they got sold and divided up and they worked for different people. And uh, when they died, they had their own burying ground. And it was actually at the time called the Negro burying ground. Because, and what they did, it was... It was at the time, it was outside of city. It, uh, it wasn't very far from the water at all, but it was outside of the city in its own little place, and so that's where they would bury them, you know, and uh, everything was segregated. You know, so as I was reading this passage then last night, um, it got me thinking, you know, how great it is that God gives us in His Word foundational guidelines of how to conduct society and live our lives and how to treat one another and how those poor African slaves who were uh, picked up, exported from uh, uh, Africa by sometimes their own people, brought over to America against, America against their will, they had no hope of freedom. You know, there wasn't any guidelines of how to treat them. You know, they were living in a poor society, which, uh, if you know me well enough, you know I enjoy reggae music. And a lot of uh, these, the, the themes that you hear in that music, in that culture, is about freedom and oppression. And they, uh, they will sing passages from the Tanakh because it so closely ties in with what their plight was at the time. And how, you know, they longed for freedom because they knew what corrupt slavery was. And so they really understood what it was to have the thought of being able to be free 
or to buy their freedom. Some of them, I read a book on the uh, history of whaling. Many of them would join in the whaling fleets because uh, it was their one chance they got a certain share. And if they got enough whales, got enough oil, got enough money, they might actually be able to buy their freedom. Um, You know, so I don't know. It was just kind of, I guess it helped frame in my mind what it really means to be a slave. So like when God talks about the uh, Israelites coming out of Egypt and how, you know, they were in slavery and in bondage and that's really the same state in which we're in, you know, what it really means to be free. But what's also important, and we're going to, and we read in this passage, is God says at least twice in 42 they are my servants which I bought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bond. And then also at, at 55, For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants who I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. So really this idea of freedom in, in one sense in which, in which uh, the sense of freedom in which our common culture puts it today, meaning nobody tells you what to do, is a lie. That just doesn't exist. I don't care where you live on earth. Somebody somewhere is over you telling you what to do. And so the idea of free, being freedom is such a load of garbage. Even in America, it's like, yeah, we have originally the intent of the founding fathers was to lay down these general precepts so that we could have the freedoms religiously and socially that we do. But because of the very framework of how our, our government and our uh, culture was founded, because it wasn't, wasn't a theocracy, it's not framed on the word of God, loosely it is, of course, it allowed for man, mankind and men to corrupt it, which is what we see today. So it's like, you know, it's, you, don't, you really don't own, even own anything. You know, we have private property ownership. Oh, baloney. You know, I bought a house. But I'm thinking to myself, oh, I own a house. But it's like, I don't own a house. I, I'm paying somebody, and somebody else is getting interest off of it. And then even if I do own this house, I really don't own it because if I stop paying my taxes, they'll take that house. It's like, no, you really don't own anything. And so this idea of, I guess, uh, what I gathered out of all of this, and so as I was thinking about it, is... We have to understand that we're strangers and sojourners uh, with God. And that we are His servants that He redeemed out of the land of Egypt. And so, we really only have one loyalty. Now, the, the, the bonuses of that and the blessings of that is that God is just. He's the only one who's righteous, who lays out things the way they should be. Um, gives us paths to walk in of righteousness and life and health and all these good things. So I'd far rather be his uh, stranger and sojourner and servant than the rest of the world because what we don't realize and what we get lulled into in our common culture these days is that you can have your cake and eat it too. When in reality, you don't have anything. And, and, and we all work our brains out to get to the end of our lives to, for, for what? You know, it's just, it's like, it's really, I ha, maybe I, I don't know, I, maybe this is just me, but I have a really hard time, you know, slaving away and working for paid for cars and houses and all this stuff that just, 
to me is empty. It's just really empty. There's nothing in it. I, you know, oh, sure, I love sailing and I like mountain biking. I enjoy activities. And I'm not saying don't enjoy activities. But all of these things that we do and, and when we're living in the diaspora really has to be tempered with a sense of discontentment, essentially. Because we're not where we should be. And we really don't own this land. And this land is really not our own. And, 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 and it's not our inheritance for those of us who have residency in the kingdom of God. Because that's really, you know, so often we, we've grown up in a culture today where we have separated out the religious from the real life, go do your job, be a good American citizen and do all of this stuff. Those lines aren't, the Bible doesn't see those lines anywhere. The, it, your religion, your relationship with God permeates every aspect of your life in which you live. There is no separation between the spiritual and the everyday. It's all one package deal in our service to God. And so we end up telling ourselves different stories and so we end up divided serving two masters and we come, become complacent. So, you know, so, so what do we do, you know, what do we do about this? How, how, <laughs> you know, how do you, so I got thinking, you know, what do I do about this? How does one live in America in 2016 and not get so bogged down with Having to go to work, you know, because that's what we're, we, has happened to us. We're getting worn down emotionally and physically and mentally and, and with our children because, of, because we're permeated from every direction with the world trying to take away, over our children, trying to wear us down emotionally, physically, and mentally in our jobs. Not that, oh, that evil boss is serving Satan. It's, it's because our, our, we as a people... Do not serve and obey God. We have set up a country and a government and a world system does not serve and obey God. And so thus, everyone is enslaved in the world system, which is Hasatan's kingdom. And so, so what do we do about that? How do we somehow have a, a mind frame and a mindset that affects our physical walk each day that we don't get mired down and weighed down and so, so I'll, I'll read what I wrote. Okay. So what do we try to do about this? Too often we have our loyalties divided between two masters. Our Father in Heaven and the God of this world. The question remains though, how do we not become too complacent in this current exile? Because that's what we're in. We're in exile. We have to remember that. I think it all lies in the land. Let me, let me pause and explain that a little bit. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> Meaning, uh, let me just read what I said and then I'll fill in. Okay. I think it all lies in the land. And where we live and the things we... Uh, and the things, the focus of the existence for our lives. So I think it lies in the land where we live Oh, I'm sorry. And thus the focus of the existence 
of our lives. So the focus, the existence of our lives. Does that make sense? Are we working to build our kingdom here? So for Luke, New Hampshire, sailing, you know. Am I building this kingdom up? Or preparing for the kingdom of Israel slash the kingdom of heaven? Because God, Yeshua came when He said, He said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're told in other places, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth where moth and rust come and destroy. So I think we have to try to wrap our minds around this. Again, I think it all lies in where it gets fleshed out, and especially in this day and age, is the land. Because where are we working to build ourselves up and putting all of our energies? And I'm not saying don't have a house, don't have a car. You know, we're in exile and we have to exist. But again, like I said, all of our efforts here and even the joyous things that we do in celebrating our people who died for our country, it must be tempered with this idea and this sadness, really, that we're not where we should be. And so, so in our lives daily... In what we do, we have to start incorporating things into it that combat the negative effects of everything in our world around us. And the only way I, I really know how to do that is by being in this book and teaching it to our children, coming together as a people together, united in our cause. And if, if at all possible... Try to get to the land. Support the land of Israel. It's meaning. In the back of our minds, knowing, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to go, I'm going to go. And maybe, yes, the group, the second exile. Uh, my dad was talking about this because there's a guy on YouTube that we've watched a little bit. And there's uh, people are teaching and speaking on the greater exodus, which I agree with. But I think this is a dangerous thing, N- not what it talks about in the Bible, but, but people's teaching and words that get put out there that create I, uh, 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 then mindsets and then actions in people's lives. In other words, part of what's gone on in the whole uh, Hebrew Roots Messianic movement, and it's not all bad, I'm not criticizing it entirely, although I guess I am, uh, is this idea of you know, back to the land and storing up food and canning and getting guns and none of that stuff is bad. But again, I think what it happens while we wait for this greater exodus, and but I think what it ends up doing is, is it causes us to be passengers instead of active members in building up the kingdom of God. And I, that's what I guess I'm saying. I'm really afraid of what's happening in our movement. As we sit back and we read our newspapers, and we listen to YouTube, and we're just, we're just passengers on this train of history. Well, no, we're not passengers on this. We're actively working to build the kingdom of God. Like, and I've used this analogy a hundred times, like when the temple was built, they built all, they cut and formed all the stones off-site so that when they were brought to the, the temple mount, they fit together like a puzzle. You know, there wasn't any piece that had to be trimmed down. There was no chisel sound on the temple mill. 
That's what we're supposed to be doing here. Building these blocks, these living stones that are going to be put together eventually in the land. And if, and if any of our, uh, us have the ability to do, get there, then I want to go. <laughs> you know, I want to get there. But I think, you know, we allow ourselves to get a little disheartened in the journey because it's hard, because it's long. And we get weighed down like barnacles on a ship with things in our life. That, that, that just create drag. So, like I said, I think it all lies on our focus on the land. And this land or that land. And this kingdom or that kingdom. Our wants and desires or God's wants and desires. You know, so are we building a life culture, a family culture? Because I think too... Um, We've got so much baggage in the Messianic movement just because of the natural ramifications of what we've gone through in the exile in history. Um, I think it's going to take a generation or two. You know, eventually the older folks are going to die. And uh, that's not all bad because in a way, a lot of that baggage hopefully will, will end with the generation. And new generations coming up We'll have less baggage than you, than me. And so that we have now a generation that, that is not uh, enamored with the things of this world so much. And uh, weighed down by the false teachings in their own mind and their culture that will think nothing of. If the opportunity comes, if the call comes to pack it up, to go back to the land... To go. You know, right now a lot of us are, are still, and myself included, you know, you know, well, how, how what, do we, what would we do? You know, there's all these little fears that sit in the back of our head. But I think this is all part of what God's doing in His people right now with us as He's turning us back. And so, like I said, we have to remember that we are strangers and sojourners in this land but we are God's servants we do not serve this kingdom and this land we serve God and we're a people building ourselves to be ready for him alright so the other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, if we go back to verse 23 it says the land shall not be sold forever. The land is mine. For ye are strangers, strangers and sojourners with me. I find this to be a really curious verse. Because to me, so I'm reading this and thinking, the land shall not be sold forever. Why does God even have to tell the people don't sell the land forever. He's giving it to them. Why would they? Why would they sell it and divide it up and give it to whoever and who knows who? You know, he has to reiterate to them this land that you're going to. You know, it keeps us cut down to size, basically, our own pride of life. This land that you're going to, you're not getting it because you're anything special. You're only getting it because I made promises to your forefathers, and I'm only kicking them out because they're 
wicked and evil that are in the land. And if you go into the land and do wicked and evil just like they did, I'm going to kick you out. Basically, I don't really care who you are. I'm not a respecter of persons. You just be happy that I'm even giving you a Negro burying ground, basically, in the land. You're my slaves, essentially. You know, we have to keep that in the back of our mind. So, to me, it seemed almost nonsensical that God would say, the land shall not be sold forever. Because to someone who has a heart after God and yearns after God, why would they ever want to give the land away? But God knew that they would, His own people would. And so He had to tell them and remind them, don't sell the land forever. The land is mine. You, and then He has to remind them again, you are strangers and sojourners with me. Now this I want to focus, this is a really important p- passage here. So we've got, he tells us we're strangers and sojourners. Now go down to verse 35. If thy brother be waxen poor and fall and decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him. Yea, though he be a stranger or a sur- sojourner, that he may live with thee. Then down to 42. You are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. That's really important right there. So it says, if your brother waxes poor, your brother, okay, waxes poor, though he be a stranger stranger or sojourner. In other words, Ruth, Caleb the Kenizzite, any of these people, us, who are joined with Israel, make covenant with the God of Israel, Though we're a stranger or a sojourner, we are treated equally as an equal citizen. Just like if somebody, any of our, you know, a lot of us, uh, some of our, uh, you guys are a perfect example. Came over, naturalized citizens, you have all of the rights and good things and bad things that come with being an American citizen. Though they're a stranger or a sojourner, that's really important because... There's those in our own messianic movement who want to call us sojourners with the people of Israel. And because you're a sojourner, well, guess what? You don't get to observe Memorial Day because you know, your ancestors died. That's what they want to tell us. That you guys really don't have an actual inheritance because you're, you don't have any Jewish blood in <laughs> If any of you guys have actually rejuvenated read a lot of Jewish history, it's a mess of, you know, you can't trace anything with any degree of certainty, though they'll tell you they can. And that's what Paul said, not to get caught up with endless genealogies, because your inheritance is not based in what your bloodline physical lineage is. It's your devotion and your commitment to God and His blood that gets you into the covenant. And so... That's, this is extremely important for him to continually remind us, you are strangers and sojourners with me. Be happy I am even allowing you here. The land's mine, you can't give it away. And you're my servants. And so, when you look at yourself that way, and it cuts you down to size, it puts his people onto an even playing field so that you're not exploiting your brothers, when they fall and get poor. Because he knew what would happen is somebody gets poor, they, they need to pay off some debts to one of their, uh, you know, I owe Paul 20 bucks. So he says, come rake my lawn 
and uh, the going rate of lawn raking is 20 bucks, but he's going to say, I'm going to give you 15. And you're not allowed to do that. Now, what's also important, because this is also what we're told by other leaders and people, quote-unquote so-and-so, in the Messianic world and movement, is, is that we're sojourners, so we don't have rights and privileges, and they'll use other passages, such as the last part of the... Um, uh, chapter here the, it talks about strangers and sojourners uh, who you may use as bond servants and you can cause them to pay you back with interest these people are not covenant members with Israel they are um, I think the illustration is or the example is that these are people that have you have conquered these are your enemies that you've taken captive, or they have surrendered to you because they don't want to be annihilated, and they submit themselves to you, but they don't like you, and they don't want to be a part of you. And so they are your servants, and they do not have the same rights in the kingdom. But if one of those people does say, I love Yahweh, my God, and I want to keep the Passover, welcome to the family. And then you know that they're telling the truth by the way that they walk out and they live their life. You see their fruit. So it's the same story from the beginning. Uh, but it's something we constantly have to be reminded of, that we're God's servants. We're really not free here. We're servants and slaves here in America. We don't own anything. And so how do we keep our mindset and our actions and our life directed in the right direction? And like I said, I think it has to do with what land, what kingdom are you investing your energies and your time and your efforts into? Yes, we've got to work to eat to put food on the table. But, um, you know, many of us have hobbies. And they can become all-encompassing. And it's amazing how much time you can carve out for those hobbies that you really like. Again, the hobbies aren't bad. I'm not knocking hobbies. But do we have the same fervor and veracity in our desire to serve God and build up His kingdom and train our children and to be a witness for those around us as we do as our hobbies? You know, we have to self-analyze and look at these things. All right, let's go to our Haftor portion. Jeremiah. Yes, you, in the, on the side. Well, it got me thinking, like, Colossians <laughs> chapter 3 said, nothing above it. It's almost like Paul knew that we were going to have these questions not in the land. So he writes to these right. people, basically, to this is how you do it. And the mindset is, not from where you are. We're citizens of the new Jerusalem. We're citizens of a heavenly Jerusalem. Our citizenship is in heaven. Right. So we don't live from this world, the society in which we live in. And really, this phenomenon has only occurred really for Christians in this generation in which they are so amalgamated to the world, there's no difference. You know, when you said there's no difference between whatever, whatever, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. always said there's no difference for the child of God between the secular and the sacred. That meaning, it's all for God, whatever you do, and we've lost that now. And so the Messianic movement, part of the falling down in the Messianic movement is no New Testament, hardly anything, which I think the New Testament God gave for <coughs> Moronic Gentiles 
that get saved out in the diaspora right. know how to live what is right. so commonplace back here. Right. Exactly. I agree 100%. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Jeremiah 32. <laughs> so off to a portion. Jeremiah 32. not too long, so we'll just read it. Verse 6. So Jeremiah 32, verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anoth. For the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of Jehovah, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anoth which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of Jehovah. And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, which was in Anoth, and weighed in the money, even 17 shekels of silver, subscribed the evidence, sealed it, took witness, weighed the money and the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law of the custom and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase under Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Masiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase before all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch, saying, Thus saith Yehovah, host God of Israel, Take these evidences, the, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed, and the evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue more, many days. For thus saith Yehovah, God of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase and Baruch the son of Mary, I prayed unto Yehovah, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power, and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness in the thousands, repentest the iniquity of the fathers under the bosom of their children after them. The great and mighty God, Yehovah of hosts, is his name, great in counsel, mighty in work, for thine eyes are open unto, upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt unto this day and in Israel among other men. Thou hast made thee a name as it is this day, and thou hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders, and with a great hand and with a stretched out arm and great terror. And thou hast given them this land, which thou didst swear... <coughs> To their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in, possessed it, but they did not obey thy voice. No, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mountains, there come unto the city and take it. The city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence. And of what thou hast uh, spoken has come to pass. And behold, thou seest it. And thou said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money, and take witnesses, for the city is given into the land of the Chaldeans. Then came the word of Yehovah unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am Yehovah, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Amen. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, How is this all going to happen? This makes no sense. <laughs> and God's saying, Nothing's too hard for me. You know, on the verge of destruction, of Jerusalem falling, of the land being laid waste and conquered and having uh, foreigners in, uh, settled in it by these foreign 
countries. Again, vineyards will be planted, fields will be sown, people will be planted back in their inheritance. And the same will be for us as there's nothing too hard for God. You know, we still have to keep faith and maintain faith that that will happen one day. Whether in our generation or the next, it doesn't matter. We still have a job to do. All right, and then our apostolic scriptures is in John chapter 10. It's not too long again, and we'll, we'll uh, so we'll just read the whole thing. So John chapter 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Yeshua walked in the temple of Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Messiah, tell us plainly. Yeshua answered them, I told you. And ye believed me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones against to stone him. Yeshua answered them, for many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. And Yeshua answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? And if he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond the Jordan into the place where John had first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. Here, there we have our passage of Yeshua in the temple telling them plainly that He was the Messiah and that He did come to restore all things in the kingdom of God and they didn't believe Him and so they wanted to kill Him. So anyway, so anyway, I guess as we go out this week and the rest of this day, you know, I don't know, bear these things in mind. And as uh, that guy on YouTube we saw, go home, read your Bible. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I just thank you for this day, for your word, for how it's timeless, how it's pertinent to our lives. Help us just to study it, to know it, and apply it, uh, live it out, to have our focus and our efforts and our motivations aligned to build your kingdom, God. And, uh, and that through those efforts we would walk in your word and uh, grow in you every day. Give us a good, restful Shabbat and a good week. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.